Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and glorifying to you in your sight. Amen. Uh, I have a true story for you. It's, it's a story of a time past, a story of a simpler, a, a time of, of more freedom. Talking about the time when my wife and I could travel from point A to point B with, get this, with just one baggage. No strollers, no extra pack and plays, no car seats, no extra baby bags, no suitcases for someone who's not even as tall as a suitcase, just one suitcase. I got a story about a time my wife and I went on a trip, and between the two of us, we packed one bag. It was super easy. We got to the airport. We checked on our one piece of luggage. We moved through security like that, sat down at our gate and read, sat down aboard our plane and just read and took some naps. And then we got off the plane. We followed the mass exodus down from our flight to the baggage claim. And it was easy. Luggage came off and I picked it up. And that's when we just started to proceed to our rental car thing. And so I did. I grabbed the piece of luggage, walked after my wife. But this is where it got really odd. Like, as try as I might, I couldn't keep up with Emily. She would walk and walk and walk. And the further we walked, the further she got ahead of me. And normally this, this isn't a problem for me. I don't have a problem keeping up with her, but it got difficult. She kept pulling further and further ahead. And so I did kind of that weird, you know, kind of like half run walk. I picked up the luggage and I like started to move after her as fast as I could. And then I started to run. And as soon as I started to run, I caught up to her. She turned around, she looked at me and she said, what in the world are you doing? Because there I stood, all red in the face, with our one suitcase put up on my shoulder. And I stood there, and what I realized is I probably should have told the other person who was packing in the suitcase with me that what we were using wasn't this nice, hard-covered luggage with, let's see, four wheels like you see here. No, we were using an incredibly inexpensive baggage that I bought when I was in college, and all the zippers were close to broken, if not broken. And there was not four wheels, there was two wheels. And one of the wheels was missing. And the reason that there was duct tape covering that hole was because what I normally did through airports and wherever I was going, I would just drag my suitcase. And now I stood there somewhat um, embarrassed. And my wife definitely embarrassed in the airport. The rest of the vacation, it was not easy traveling al along with that baggage. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. It was not that fun. I don't know. Can you relate? And you're looking at me like, no, dude, none of us are so foolish where we would try to drag luggage through the airport on duct tape. But I'm not talking about my baggage right now. Um, I'm talking about your baggage. Are you carrying baggage with you? I'm talking about the mental, the psychological, the emotional baggage of things past. Over the last month, we've been talking in our sermon series, Transformed, about different 
mental health topics. We've talked about anxiety. And we've talked about how this is something that affects one in five people in America. We talked about how depression isn't just a thing for some people, but it's something for everyone to be concerned about because one in 20 people in America suffer from real depression and half of the people in this room, according to national statistics, know someone they love, a friend or a family member who's dealing with depression. In the third week, we talked about addiction, and we talked about how this is an American health crisis that, that we need to pay attention to because one and a half more people in America, one and a half times the number of people who have all forms of cancer are struggling with an addiction, almost double the amount of cancer patients. We have people who are struggling with addiction. And this morning, I'm going to suggest this. As staggering as those numbers are, as overwhelming as I think those numbers are, I'm going to suggest, I'm going to assume that every single one of us for, from carrying baggage. And it weighs on us. It's heavy and it's not fun and it can be just that downright embarrassing. What is baggage? Let's define it. I'm going to define baggage as this this morning. This is the first fill in the blank as you're following along on our sermon guide. Baggage is simply this. It's heaviness from your sins that you cannot forget. That is guilt. That's baggage. It's guilt. It's guilt over things that you said, things that you've done, thoughts that you've had that you wish you could take back. It's things that happened yesterday that... You wish stayed in the past, but Satan is there reminding you every minute that he can of today that you did that. It's the attitude that you had when you were younger towards authority that manifested itself in a number of different things that you would be humiliated about if your kids just got a hint at them. Baggage is the one too many times that you had one too many drinks that made you forget one too many nights, but you remember enough to know you wouldn't do that again. Baggage is the closed doors, and more specifically what went on behind the closed doors that you wish you would have just opened and walked through and left. Baggage is is the close secrets, the things that nobody knows about because it only exists in your head, but it's the thing that lives in your head, the thought that you had that you're going to take to your grave. That's baggage. Baggage is also things that's been hoisted on you that you didn't ask for. Baggage is, is the mean word, the cruel word that someone spoke to you because you made an honest mistake and they called you stupid. They called you ugly. Baggage is the person you trusted who took advantage of you personally or sexually. Baggage is the pastor or the church that you went to and talked to in hopes that they, that they would take some of that baggage away, but they multiplied it. That's baggage. Baggage is guilt. It's the heaviness from sins that you did that you can't forget. And here's what we're going to ask today. So what are you going to do about that? 
What are you going to do with your sins? And more specifically, what are you going to do with the crippling guilt that exists with every single sin? Because it is one of life's most decisive moments. What are you going to do with it? And I'm not understating it when I say this is a pivotal moment in your life to figure out every time that you encounter a moral failing that we call sin, you have something to do. It's going to define who you are. It's going to either mean the victory or the loss when it comes to spiritual growth. You can either skirt around it, pretend sin and guilt doesn't happen, or you can go through it. You can address it. But here's the rub. I don't think most people, I don't even think most faith people really understand personally or biblically how to deal with guilt, how to deal with sin. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take eight steps or we're going to go through eight stages through sin. Not around sin, not past sin, but we're going to take eight steps through sin and we're going to talk about getting a grip on guilt. We're going to talk about the gospel resources that our God gives us to handle guilt. And we're going to do it by referring back to Ephesians chapter 5. Would you look with me at verse 3? Here the apostle Paul says this. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place. But rather, there should be thanksgiving. How many of you know that guy or that girl who says like, no regrets. I don't live with any regrets. I got no guilt. I can think of a couple of people like that in my life that I know. And either those people are, A, they're perfect, and we should get behind them and follow them, or please, uh, those people are pretenders, and they should be pitied, and they should be prayed for. And if you think that's too strong, hear me out. All of us understand that we have moral failings. We we do things that we well, wish we didn't do. And part of the reason we're talking about guilt, maturation as a Christian, comes with the fact that you can learn from it. You can address it. You can confess it. I sin. Our first stage, our first step as we move through sin is this. It is the realization of sin. It is the confession of sin. It's admitting that I believe in the doctrine of original sin, the biblical doctrine of original sin, which says, as a part of me, there is nothing good in me. Interwoven in my DNA is the fact that I'm an enemy of God. That on my own, I can't choose God, I can't come to him, because only sin, only, only wrath, only enmity, that's a fancy word that means I'm an enemy of God exists in me. It's the realization of sin that's in me. And it's not something I want. It's not something I want to pass on to my children. And yet it's there. The American theologian, uh, Reinhold Neubauer, said this. He said, of the doctrine of original sin, it is, imp- it is one of the most empirically verifiable doctrines in all of the Christian faith. What he meant was this, is that 
all of my personal history, all of world history makes it clear. People mess up. People do things that aren't right. No one is completely perfect 100% of the time. There's sin. And it might seem like this is kind of a pretty obvious first step, right? Realize that you have sin. But just imagine for a moment if you didn't. Just imagine if you ignored sin. What would happen to your soul as it becomes dampened towards everything that is good and everything that's right? Just imagine what would happen if you didn't believe that laws existed that you broke. Well, you'd really just be writing your own laws and your, your eternal trajectory would be moving further and further away from the one who, who wrote the book of life. That's the first step. It's realization of sin. But the moment you realize that you sin is the very moment it ushers on an all-out attack of your humanity, of your person. And that's why we're going to move on to the second one right away, which is regret. It's regret over sin's consequence. Apostle Paul, if you got your Bibles open, I'm at verse 5, says this, For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What more can I say? As soon as we come to the realization that I sin, I'm immediately faced with the immediate consequence of my sins. And there's regret. There's regret over sin's consequence. It's regret that I not only did what I shouldn't have done, but it's regret that there's now a consequence to the thing that I did which separates me from everything that is good about Christ, his love, his eternity, his peace, his forgiveness. That is the consequence of sin. You heard it. Any person who has even a hint, and when I look in the mirror, there's a little more than a hint of those things in my life. Such a person doesn't have inheritance in the kingdom of God. But you got to understand this about regret. Regret is a, is, is a good thing, and it can be a good thing, and we're going to talk more about it being a good thing in a second. But oftentimes, regret is a thing that is completely unspiritual. It's a completely messed up thing that I take part in. Regret is is this. It's, it's little Bobby on the playground who picks up a handful of sand and looks right at his sister and throws it right in her face. Regret is, is Bobby's mom seeing Bobby do this, come over, take him by the hand, walk him over to his sister and say, that was bad. Say you're sorry. And Bobby goes, I'm sorry. And carries on. That's regret. There's nothing spiritual about what little Bobby did. He took no spiritual steps forward in his journey of faith. No, what did he do? He just experienced distress that things didn't go the way he wanted them to go. He just experienced regret that he didn't get what he wants, that things are going badly for him. Regret can be a good thing, and oftentimes it is, and we're going to talk about that, but oftentimes regret is an unbelievably selfish thing. I don't get what I want, that I have distress not over the thing that I did, the inadmissible thing against the unassailable God, but it's a selfish thing, that things aren't going the way I want them to. That's step number two. Paul continues 
verse five. He said, for of this, you can be sure. No immoral, no impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and of Christ. And look what he follows that up with. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Before I tell you number three, I want you to put an X by it or a big old no by it. And if you're artistic, you can draw a skull and crossbones by it. Because number three is the only step uh, that is spiritual deadening. It is a step that is spiritually damning if you remain in this step. So why are we talking about it? Well, Listen, the Apostle Paul, he said, let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things. God's wrath does come on those who are disobedient. What this step is, is the rationalization of sins. It's the justification of the things that I do. Eh, it's not so bad. It's not wrong. And he said, stay away from people who tell you that because listen, Paul says, I'm telling you, such a person who does sin doesn't have an inheritance. It's not a joke. And perhaps there's no louder voice than the one that lives in my head that rationalizes sin. The rationalization of sin, I like this pastor friend of mine said, the rationalization of sin manifests itself not as inadequacy, but just above average C. Here's, Here's what he meant by that. He meant that often we look at what people do, and we say, hey, I'm not inadequate like that. I'm average. I'm just above average. You look at the person who abuses their spouse, and you go, at least I don't do that. All the while, the way you speak to him or to her is verbally abusive. It's looking at the person who's a moral degenerate who can't hold down a job and you say, Psh, at least I can keep a job. And all the while, you're stealing from your employer because of your laziness. You're gossiping at work. And, sin, and, and work doesn't become a place to glorify God. It becomes a place where you sin and act like not a Christian. You look at a parent and you say, hey, At least I can keep my kids in line. And the whole while, like, your kids don't even know that you love them because of the way you've treated them. That's the rationalization of sin. And if you rationalize sin, if you justify sin, it's akin to being a sick person because we are sick with sin. It's akin to being a sick person who says, eh, I'm just going to get better. I'm going to ride this one out and see what happens. But we're sick with a terminal illness, and it's an illness that if we don't tend to it, it's going to destroy us, and we're going to die in our sin. And so we move on. Here's stage four. And this is where the turning point comes with getting a grip on sin. Here it is. The Apostle Paul, you got to read this one with me. He says this in verse eight. He says, For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. This, rep- this step is called repentance over sin. It's part one of repentance over sin that we are calling remorse. 
You see, it's more than just the rationalization, uh, yes, or the realization, excuse me, that yes, I sinned. It's more than just, I regret that I sinned. It is something deeper. It is something better. It is moving beyond regret to remorse, to spiritual sorrow that we're going to define before we talk about. Spiritual remorse is this. It's having your heart break because you've broken the heart of God. And this is clear in my life. Oftentimes, it's really, really easy for us to admit, right? That, hey, I shouldn't have done that. You know, in in my spiritual tests in life, eh, maybe I've had a few C's and D's, um, but hey, I'm not that bad. You know, what I really miss is the heart aching, heart breaking realization that I've, I've offended my father who loves me, my father who has provided every opportunity for me, my father who, who sent his son to die for me. Second Corinthians tells this, the apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian congregation said, now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended. And so we are not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. What he's talking about is worldly sorrow, being just regret. I just regret. That doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't lead anywhere except to death. But he says godly sorrow, that's a good thing. Sorrow, which the world thinks is really this bad thing, it actually can be a very good thing because it leads to salvation. It leads to life. And the reason that is because regret is egotistical. It focuses on you. Remorse or godly sorrow isn't egocentric. It's Christocentric. It's centered on Christ. It's not about what you did. It's about what he did. It's not about how I messed up. It's about how, yes, I I messed up, but it's about how I have a God who has given to me. And this is where it turns all around. Here's stage five. It is repentance over sin, part two. It is a total reversal. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, verse eight, for you were once darkness, but now You are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and the truth. Live as children of the light and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of the darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is repentance part two. It is a complete reversal. This is what you were. This is what you are. You were darkness. You are light. You were sleeping. You were dead in your sins, and now you are alive. The love of the Lord, the light, the sun of the most high God is shining on you. You are woke. Stay woke. That is who you are. 
Listen to what Paul said. He didn't say you were standing in darkness and now you walked outside into light, but you might walk back in again. He said, no, you were darkness and now you are not just standing in light, near light. He said, you are light in the Lord. The two can't exist in the same room. They can't exist in the same place. Light and darkness. You can't have both. You can have one or the other. And he says, that is what you were and light is what you are now. Live as children of light. That is... That is who you are. And that is the catch. I forgot to tell you before we got into this, these eight steps, they are going to transform your life. They're going to change the way you get a grip on guilt. They're going to transform your life. But there is one really big catch. I got to tell you about it. It's this. Or these eight steps through sin, they are not your to-do list. The eight stages of sin, the eight stages through sin are not your to-do list because the boxes were checked before you sinned. Listen. The message of Christianity, the message of the cross is not about you being a good person and good people getting better by checking off the box that looks like they're doing good things. No, the message of Christianity is this through and through. The message of Christianity is of bad people struggling and failing to do good and doing bad, but hearing a message that they've been changed. There's been a reversal. Christ, who had no sin, became sin for us. The message of Christianity is not about good people getting better by checking off boxes on a to-do list. The message of Christianity through and through is a proclamation. It is a declaration. It is the gospel. It is a message that love bore down on you and has nothing to do with you. It is the message of love that pursued you when you ran. The message of the gospel is not about something that is yours to the degree to which you repent. It is yours to a degree that you and I can't fathom. The message of the gospel is thoroughly this, that you were forgiven before you sinned, that you who were lost were brought home before you even realized it. What I'm talking about is reconciliation with our God. What I'm talking about is restoration made possible through Jesus Christ. What I'm talking about is regeneration through the Holy Spirit, a renewal of all things. What I'm talking about is transformation of you through and through. That's the message of the gospel. That's repentance that leads to salvation. And you might say, hey, great, that's, that's number five, Matt. We're done. Let's, that's better than I expected it would be. I, I'm on board with this, this gospel. Let's get out of here. Why, why do you have three more steps? <laughs> well, the reality is I got three more steps because we're not in heaven yet. And here's what happens. The more you hear that message, the more you hear that gospel, well, the more you become aware of your sin. 
the more time you spend in this place and the more time you spend with one another, gather around your tables with God's word, you're going to become aware of your sin. Because what's going to happen is you're going to hear the gospel of forgiveness. And I guarantee this, you're going to sin today. Probably on the way home. And what's going to happen this week is that Satan's going to come to you the moment you sin and he's going to tell you, yeah, that's not for you. That grace, you messed it up. That God doesn't love people like you who do things like this. He's going to tell you that you are a hypocrite, that you are a liar because you think things that no Christian should think. And what's going to happen is you're going to enter a stage of sin called the remainder or the reminder of sin's guilt. And it's going to start all over again. I like Paul's solution. Paul gets blunt. In verse 15, he says this. He says, be very careful then how you live. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. He puts it pretty bluntly. Living in this veil of tears, living in this world is evil. Your days, they're full of evil. He says, I get it, you're gonna sin. It's gonna happen, bad things. But then he says this, he says, so be careful, it gets practical. Be very careful how you live, be wise. And then he adds this, he says, make the most out of every opportunity. What does that mean? What goes on? Read with me. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I like that. It's actually much more clever in the original language than in, than in English. But what Paul's talking about to a group of Ephesians who worshiped a false god by getting drunk is this. He said, look, do not be drunk. Don't be filled with small s spirits. Fill yourself up with the spirit. And this is the next stage. This is the next step. What should you do when you are reminded of sin's guilt? Here's it. Revel in the spirit. Don't revel in drunkenness. Don't do that. It leads to bad things like debauchery. But revel in the Holy Spirit. Go down to the cellar and get out the bottle, the Bible. Pop it open and read and uncork all of the goodness that is in Christ Jesus. Let it pour over you the forgiveness, the assurance of the forgiveness that you have in there. He says, you want to know what to do when guilt remains, when you are reminded of sins that you have done in the past? He says, go, go and get the word of life, the water of life and pour it over you and you enjoy the happiest happy hour you will ever experience. He says, go and get staggering drunk and go blind on 200 proof scripture that just one drop of it would remind you that your sins are gone and pour it all over you because I'm telling you it's a limitless supply and more and more you will be reminded that as far as the east is from the west, so far as your sins from you. There is no fear in life. There is no guilt in death. This This is the power of Christ in you. It was uh, 
two weeks after we got back from that vacation uh, that I had my birthday. And you want to guess what my really loving, really thoughtful wife gave me for my birthday that year? She gave me this really, really pretty neat piece of luggage. It's hard on the outside. It's got four wheels that spin in any direction. And it makes it really easy to travel through the airport. That was three years ago. And I still remember when my wife came into the living room with a bow on this suitcase and we just laughed. We just laughed uh, as we remembered what happened, the ridiculousness that happened two weeks ago when I carried my baggage with me needlessly. Can I tell you about a greater present? You have someone who loves you more than the person who you think loves you the most. And they have given you a gift. They have given you a gift by carrying your baggage, by carrying your baggage up a hill called Calvary. And when they got there, I got to tell you, and I love telling you this, they lost your luggage and it's not coming back. It's gone. You don't have any guilt. You don't need to carry your baggage with you anymore because Christ took it to the cross and there he lost it. It's gone. The Apostle Paul, he gives us one more stage. This is what he says, a stage. Verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word of God. And you want to know what that reminds me of? Look at that. That reminds me of church done right. That reminds me of worship. That reminds to people gathering around one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the music, making music from the heart, giving thanks to God. And that's the eighth and the final stage of dealing with guilt, of getting a grip on guilt. It's rejoicing with sinners. And that picture has no commentary on those who are Caps fans, but it has a commentary on this. Imagine, imagine if we who are sinners, and you can come find me and correct me if I'm wrong about this, and because I'm, I'm assuming we're all sinners. I said the assumption is that all of us are carrying baggage and have guilt. Now imagine this. Imagine if we rejoiced with individuals as they moved through sin, as over and over again they partied with the good stuff from the Holy Spirit and we're reminded of that. Imagine if they celebrated the same way Capitals fans celebrate a Stanley Cup win. Imagine if they celebrated the same way that Packer fans celebrate a Hail Mary from Aaron Rodgers. Imagine if they celebrated the same way that Vikings fans just give thanks that they're starting a new season. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, I I I couldn't leave that one alone. Imagine if this place and these people celebrated grace like that. Then this would be a place rejoiced with sinners like that. Then this would be a place 
for the anxious. It'd be a place for the depressed. It'd be a place for those struggling with an addiction. It'd be a place for you and for me, a place for the guilty. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Lord God, we come before you as a church, as a community of sinners who know that in you, we're saints. Lord, we come before you um, giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Not the least of which is the fact that you have taken our sins up to Calvary's holy mountain and buried them there, left them there. Lord, for all of us who are struggling with guilt, who are struggling under the heaviness that comes with carrying our baggage, Lord, help us by the gift of your Holy Spirit to lay it down, to lay it down at the cross and look up and see you and there an empty cross and there your hands forgiving us for all of our sins, reminding us that our guilt is gone in you. Lord, for this we give you thanks and praise. Amen.